Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. How's everybody doing today? You doing all right? On this pre-holiday weekend, man, we're so thankful that you're here. You've already been greeted. I missed you. Uh, some of you didn't, didn't even know we weren't here last week because you weren't here either. Shame on you. But um, <laughs> there's way too many laughs for that. I think there was a lot of people out last week. I didn't realize. Um, no, we missed you. We were traveling last week. Uh, we went up to Cooperstown, New York. Our family did. Uh, our son, Cooper, uh, was, he plays uh, baseball, and they had a big end-of-the-season kind of tournament uh, every single week all summer long in Cooperstown there at Cooperstown Dreams Park. Um, they have like over 100, 120 teams every single week from Memorial Day, I think, to Labor Day um, that come in and play on that given week. So there was 100 plus teams this week. And so we went up and we watched a bunch of baseball and we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We went to Double Day Field where kind of baseball started and, and we're a big baseball family. So we loved it. We had a blast uh, and just a lot of fun there. Uh, but I, I missed you. But let me just say on my trip back yesterday, uh, I listened to the podcast from Pastor Trevor, um, his message. If you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to that message on our website. It was an incredible message just about the way that God interrupts our stories uh, and, and divinely interrupts our lives. And just a great, great message. The other thing that we did last week is we made an announcement that Pastor Mark Walker, who um, has been our senior pastor for the Marietta campus of Mount Perrin North and here at Canton, uh, we made the announcement that he is going to be going to Lee University to serve as the vice president for ministerial development, the chair of the Department of Christian Ministries, and he's going to be a professor of pastoral studies. And I'm so excited for him because I believe I'm, a, I'm an alum of Lee University. I'm so excited for him to go and to pour into and to develop the next generation of pastors and youth pastors and children's pastors and missionaries, and just men and women of God. Um, I think he's going to do an incredible job. I'm also sad to see him leave Mount Perrin North. Uh, both Marietta and Canton, because uh, he's been my pastor now for 10 and a half years uh, in that capacity. Um, but, you know, we here at Canton, we've been in a season of transition. We announced about a month or two ago that we were disengaging, we were separating to plant Canton Church as a separate church, an autonomous church. And so we were already in a season of transition. His role with us was going to change. So there's some sadness, but also, um, you know, we understand it was already going to be a little bit of a transition. But next Sunday, he and Udella will be here with us we're kind of their final Sunday here as senior pastor. Um, he may come back and visit. I've told him, I'm, you know, there's open invitation for him to come and preach. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different deal. So next Sunday will be his last Sunday to be with us as our senior pastor. Here, Marietta, he's got a few more weeks before his last Sunday. But I encourage you to be here next week. It's going to be a special week, uh, a special Sunday. And I know I encourage you to come every week, and you need to be, but I really, really, really highly recommend you be here next week. It's going to be a great Sunday where we just honor them, we celebrate what God's done. What you and I get to experience as Canton Church every single week was birthed in Pastor Mark's heart. Um, and I've told that story, I'll tell it a little bit next week too, but he, he shared that dream with me in a Waffle House in Peachtree City like seven and a half years ago. And if God can move in a Waffle House, God can really move, right? So um, we just want to honor them and just bless them as they leave. So be here next Sunday for that. I told you we took this trip, we went up to Cooperstown, New York, and so we knew on the way back it was like a 14, 15 hour drive. So we have four kids, 12, 10, 8, and Kinley will be six next Saturday. If you see her today, you ask her. She will not tell you she's five anymore. She will tell you she's almost six. 
Um, she and I share the same birthday. She was the best birthday present I ever got. Uh, but uh, now since we share a birthday, uh, you know, she has already decided this year that our birth- she plans our birthday party now. So our birthday this year is a princess and prince birthday party. And so she is inviting her friends, and she told all of them or is telling all of them that they have to bring their dads so I have someone to play with. So, um, <laughs> so we have 12, 10, 8, and almost 6. And so when we have, you know, 14, 15 hours of drive time, we decided to split that up into a couple of days and uh, not try to make that all at one time. Not for the kids, but really for, for my sake. Uh, and so we decided on the way back, the kids have never been to New York City and they've never been to Washington, D.C. And so we decided we're going to just on our way back just swing through those cities. We're not going to really spend a lot of time there. Some people go there for like a week at a time. We had about a day. Uh, and so we left Cooperstown about 8 o'clock after the closing ceremonies Thursday night. We drove to New York City. We, we pulled into Times Square. I'm not even kidding. We pulled into Times Square at like midnight uh, Thursday night into Friday, 12.01 a.m. We're driving through. I mean, we blew up Instagram and Facebook for about 24 hours. Um, Kenley's looking out the window, all the lights and the people. It's midnight. There's thousands of people there in Times Square. So we left Times Square, and we drove to New Jersey to stay because I'm cheap. And so we went to a hotel in New Jersey. And so then we got up Friday morning after a few hours of sleep. We went back into the city. We went to Central Park. We went to Rockefeller Center. And the kids, we had said, hey, what do you want to do in New York City? And the one non-negotiable for all the kids was, we want to ride a subway. We, I mean, Statue of Liberty, Empire State, no, we want to ride a subway. So we took them to Grand Central Station, and we caught a subway, and we rode it down to One World Trade Center. We actually went to Wall Street and then walked over to One World Trade. Let's throw this picture up. Uh, this is us just kind of in front of... Uh, the new uh, World Trade Center building there. There's a memorial for 9-11, which we didn't get to spend any time at, unfortunately. So we saw the building and just the grandeur of that and uh, just incredible uh, building that has been constructed there. And then we walked over towards Battery Park and we saw the Statue of Liberty. We didn't have time to go across on the ferry. saw the Statue of Liberty. And then we went and met a friend of ours that was, we were youth pastors to her uh, several years ago. And so we went, she lives in New York now. We went to Washington Square Park and we saw a band playing and we saw people playing chess and it was awesome. And we went and ate at Joe's Pizza, which was in Spider-Man, incredible pizza, by the way. And then we left there and we did some shopping and we just did a ton of fun things. And we eventually made our way back to Times Square. Tons and tons of people, thousands and thousands of people. And we were like, okay, that's our day in New York. It was really like six hours. That's it. We did a lot. Now we're going to go back to New Jersey and get in our car, and we're going to drive to Washington, D.C. And so we got in our car. We drove to Washington, D.C. We fought some traffic. We got into D.C. about 10, 1030. I parked my car on the street, catty-cornered to the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, the OEOB there, uh, and where like most of the White House staff, uh, their offices are. So I'm catty-cornered there. I, I think I may have parked illegally. I'm not really sure. It wasn't intentional. There was a Secret Service officer that was there, and I said, sir, can I park here? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, that's good enough for me. So I, I parked my car there on the street, uh, and we, we literally went across this way and across this way, and we're on Pennsylvania Avenue, and we walked down, and we took this picture in front of the White House. Um, Kenley looks like she's miserable because she was. Um, <laughs> We took this picture. What we didn't realize is that 11 o'clock, they turn off the lights. And so we got there right before they turned off the lights. And then they, they turned it off. And we grabbed some other pictures. And we saw the Washington Monument. And we saw the Lincoln Memorial. And we saw... I ended uh, Friday, literally midnight, 24 hours after we drove into Times Square. I was standing in front of the U.S. Capitol building. All the kids were asleep in the car. And I snapped a picture. And I said, hey, there's the U.S. Capitol. Just a couple days before July 4th. It was the most epic, action-packed 24 hours you can imagine 
and my voice is struggling today because of it. But here, here's, here's what I couldn't help to think throughout the day on Friday. We were in New York City. We were in Washington, D.C. And as we walked through the streets of both of those cities, we saw armed guards. We saw soldiers that were standing there. Throw out your political persuasion for a moment. We walked past Trump Tower, which they now guard, and they've shut down one of the streets there on the backside of, of or to the right of Trump Tower. And there were, there were men standing there in full body armor with machine guns protecting that facility because of, obviously, President Trump now. And we walked to, when we were walking down the streets in Washington, D.C., there were armed guards, Secret Service, and, and police there that were standing there for our safety. Now, my kids didn't view it that way. They were nervous. There were guys with guns right in front of them. But what I recognized is that they were there for our safety. They were there to protect us. They were there to make sure that no one did harm. Now, while we were in New York, just not too far from where we were at, there was a shooting in a hospital really close to where we were at. Several people harmed there. One person lost their life. And, and so we recognize that there are things that are happening, but I was thinking about this is just the way I process. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can be in a moment and just be in the moment. But I was in each of those moments and I was thinking back and thinking forward, kind of nostalgia thinking about 9-11, looking at One World Trade and re recognizing all that it represents and looking at the other facilities, thinking about standing on those streets where people were running away from falling buildings. And my mind went back to those images of some of the people that were running into burning buildings. The courage of soldiers, firemen, police officers that weren't running away from danger. They were running toward danger. Their courage gave us courage. Thinking about all the people that are called to serve and protect for our freedom. They're not just fighting against something. They're fighting for something. Their courage is compelling to me. And so today as we look and continuing our Acts series, I want to go to a story in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, which may seem a little different than even how I've set this up, but there were some courageous men in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. They weren't running into burning buildings, but they were standing up, up against authority in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 6, we're going to read here about Peter and John. There was a man who was paralyzed that had been brought to this gate named Beautiful there by the temple. And he was begging for money, begging for alms. And this is what Peter responds to him, beginning in verse 6 of Acts chapter 3. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. I love that. He grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And as he's lifting him up, the ankles and the feet that were paralyzed are made strong. Now look at this. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And you would too if you'd been paralyzed. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Skip to verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, those religious leaders there, came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
and they, the religious leaders, arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, when I read this passage, the first thing that I was confronted by was I was confronted by this paralyzed man, this man that had to have other people help carry him to the gate, the gate of the temple there, the beautiful gate as Scripture describes it. And so he's laying there, and daily he would be brought to that gate right outside the temple, and he would be begging people for money. Before they would go in and offer their sacrifice, before they would go in and offer their worship, he was begging them before they got to that to give him money. And I thought about his condition as being paralyzed and his request for money. And maybe he was asking for money so that he could get to the doctor, so that they could heal his ankles or heal his feet. But we don't have that. And so it occurs to me that perhaps sometimes people beg for the wrong things. People ask for the wrong things. He should have been asking, can anybody heal me? Can anybody touch my feet? Can anybody touch my ankles and help me to walk? But he had probably given up hope. He had probably lost all hope that that was even possible. He had probably stopped praying for that type of miracle. And so now he's asking for something else to meet a different condition that doesn't actually solve his problem. And I wonder how often you and I pray that kind of prayer where we ask for a different Thing than what we actually need. We say, God, my marriage is in trouble. I need you to fix my spouse. When actually what you might need to be praying is, God, fix me. God, fix me. Fix my heart. Fix my attitude. Fix my words that are coming out of my mouth. Help me to reflect you and the love that you have towards my spouse in the way that I love them. You're praying for the wrong thing. You say, God, give me a new job. I'm begging for a new job when maybe that's not what you need to be praying for. Maybe you need to be praying for a better attitude on your current job. Maybe your current job isn't that bad. You just don't have the right attitude to work and to be all that you need to be on that job. Maybe we're begging for the wrong thing. But here this guy is begging for alms. He's begging for money. And the Bible tells us that Peter and John, that he, he gets their attention Something that he says, something that he does, it gets their attention. And the Bible tells us that Peter turns or directs his attention towards this guy. They're walking towards the temple. They direct their attention towards this guy. And I'm assuming that this man looked right at Peter. And now that he's got his attention, he wants to make sure that Peter heard him right. And he says, sir, do you have any money for me? Do you have any alms? Do you have any gold or silver that you can give me? And then Peter responded. He says, silver and gold do I not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He answers a prayer that the man wasn't even praying. He helps meet a need that the man wasn't even asking for help for. And so the man jumps up. He starts leaping around, jumping wildly. I mean, he is so excited, which again, you and I would probably do too if this condition that we had been accustomed to had changed. And so they go walking into the temple and the people see it. And the religious leaders who are used to things being prim and proper and, and they're, they're want, hey, well, you know, this is, this is not what we do in this temple. This is not how we act in this temple. We're singing some songs like you just need to relax a little bit. Put your tambourine away. Like, don't, we're not doing that today. Like, no, there's, there's something happening here that we don't like. And so they arrest Peter and John. They arrested them for healing a guy and for talking about the person of Jesus. This, the Bible says that they were greatly annoyed that they were talking about Jesus and the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so they eventually, the next day, they had to spend the night in jail because it was later in the evening, and so the authority couldn't hear the case. And so the next day, they bring them out, and they start asking them questions. We'll look at the question in a minute. But in response to that question, like, what are you doing? Why are you telling this? What, why are you proclaiming this? Why are you talking about Jesus? Why are you talking about his resurrection? Why are you healing this guy? How did you heal this guy? It says this in the beginning of verse 13 of chapter 4. When they, the people, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. What were they astonished by? Not their answers, because they were unschooled and ordinary. They were astonished by their courage. I'm sure that those religious leaders were used to getting their own way. They arrest somebody, they confront somebody, they say, hey, keep it down over there. Those people would start keeping it down. Hey, don't talk about that anymore. They wouldn't talk about that anymore. They're used to getting their way. They're, they're people of authority, they're people of Religious authority in that day and time inside the temple, they would have been the controlling authorities. And so they were probably used to getting their own way. But when Peter and John stood with confidence and with courage to continue to declare the truths of God in the person of Jesus Christ, like Peter went so far as to say, listen, Jesus came, he was sinless, he was blameless, and you killed him. They were courageous, and courage is compelling. Now look at the question that they were asked when they were even answering the question. In verse 7 it said this, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power and by, or by what name did you do this? By what power or by what name did you do this? They're asking, they're saying, Listen, you're unschooled, you're ordinary men. There is something else at work here. There's something else at play. Some other power is given to you to help you do what you just did, to heal this guy to proclaim these truths, to declare these truths, like the things that you're accomplishing, we recognize this can't just be because of you. So what is causing you to be able to do this? By what power, by what name are you able to accomplish what you're accomplishing? Now, we just sang about that power. We just sang about that name. It's the name of Jesus. The problem is, for so many of us, when we're walking around through life, when we're receiving some type of confrontation, when people are questioning us about our faith, when people are questioning us about the things that we believe, we get timid. We get fearful because we think we're on our own authority. We think we have to answer it by our own name. Well, I'm Jeremy, and I, you know, I think I go to church. and I, you know, and There's a timidity there. There's a fear there because we forget that we are standing there under the authority, under the power, under the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, we just sang. Because the truth is that when you know whose authority you're under, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. When you know whose authority that you are under, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. If I recognize that when I'm confronted about the faith that I have, the relationship with Jesus that I have, I understand that I am operating under the authority, under the power, under the name of Jesus, and it doesn't matter what my name is. It doesn't matter who I am. I am operating under the power of Jesus. So they say, hey, what power do you have? What name are you operating under? And then they, they saw the courage of Peter and John. And look at the continuation there of verse 13. We stopped halfway through just a minute ago. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
It seems to me, this is personal experience, maybe this is not your experience, it seems to me that when people are confronting me, or there's any type of opposition related to faith, things of faith, the Bible, Christianity, church, whatever that looks like for you, it seems to me that there are two types of opposition currently in our culture here in the Bible Belt of the United States. One is the very public, negative, derogatory, forceful, it's wrong, I can't believe you would believe something like that, I can't believe that you would do something like that, that's so crazy, that's so dumb, like very forceful, very negative, very, you know, just they're, they're really, really outlandish, loud, boisterous in their derogatory comments towards Christianity, faith, the Bible, church, whatever. That's one way that people try to attack Christianity. The other type, it seems, at least in my experience, is a lot more kind of understated. Well, you know, that's good for you. You know, I mean, if you believe that kind of truth, that's fine. I've got my own truth. My truth's right. Your truth's right. We're all right. Can't all be right, but okay, we're all right. So, that, you know, there's this understated. It's like, well, I'm not going to attack you. Just don't attack me. I'm not going to try to proselytize you towards me. Just don't proselytize me towards you. Like, okay, well, there's, you know, that's, so that's the other approach, it seems. And maybe there's something else in the middle that you've experienced. But it seems to me that so often for a lot of us, we shy away from spiritual conversations, faith conversations, conversations about Jesus, the church, religion, faith, whatever, because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question we don't know the answer to. Maybe you've never done that. I know I've been afraid at times. Because somehow we are convinced that they're going to ask us a question about Leviticus chapter 9, and we're not going to know about the old wineskins or the goat hair, or the, and we're just like, it's all going to fall apart if I don't know the answer. Right? It's like, well, what if they ask me about the old law, and, the, and I don't even know what the new law is? And like, we just think everybody's going to go to hell because I couldn't answer the question about Leviticus chapter 9. So I'm just not going to get in any conversations because, heaven forbid, they ask me something. What do you think Jesus meant when he said the thing about the field? Uh, can I get back to you on that? Like, you're just you're so scared to have a conversation because we just don't know. But what we see right here is we don't see Peter and John answering all the questions. What was the guy asking for? He was asking for silver and gold. They don't actually give him what he's looking for. They give him something better. They give him Jesus. And, and I think, for me, I've, I've gotten to the place where I'm, I, will, I love to have conversations with people about things of faith, but I'm not going to debate with church people about just stuff that doesn't really matter. I'm just done with that. Because the, the, the point is not that we're trying to actually get to truth so that we can all be closer to Jesus. The point oftentimes is that you're trying to win an argument or I'm trying to win an argument. And I'm done trying to win arguments. I just don't think it helps anybody. Now, if we're having a, a conversation to help sharpen both of us towards a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus wants from me and what Jesus wants from you. I'll have that all day long. Let's go to a Mexican place, eat chips and salsa. We can stay there all afternoon. I've already been to all of them in town. They don't kick you out. Let's go do it, all right? But I'm done debating because it, it doesn't really serve the point. Let's have a conversation. What did, what did Peter and John do? Peter and John gave the man something he didn't even really know he was searching for. They gave him Jesus. They said, hey, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Let me tell you the story of Jesus and me. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus did. 
Let me tell you what some people did to Jesus, including people that were right here in the temple. These, these people right here, these are the people. You are the people that crucified my Lord. And people are like, well, huh? by what name, what power do you think you have the right to stand here and say this? They say the name of Jesus. It's the only name that matters. The Bible tells us that at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible tells us other places in the gospel accounts that even the demons shook at his name. You don't have to work off your name. Work off his. It's better than yours. You operate under his power, his authority. It is by his name that we declare the truths of our lives. And then what did, these, what did these people do in response? It says they looked at them, they were unschooled, they were ordinary, they were unlearned, some translations say. So it wasn't the answers that they were giving. It wasn't even the words that they were speaking that caused these people to be astonished. What did it say at the end of verse 13? It says they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were courageous in the face of opposition, which often speaks to something bigger than yourself. They were courageous in the face of opposition, which so often speaks to something bigger than yourself. You think about that on this July 4th week, those people that run into battle. There's something bigger than themselves that compels them to do so. People that ran into burning buildings was something bigger that compelled them to do so. You think of the people that are standing guard on the streets that I just walked through, or even standing guard in our streets. There, there's something bigger that compels them to do so. It's your freedom. It's your peace. Your peace of mind to lay your head down at night. And yes, there are terrible people in the world that want to do evil and harm to the world, but there are people fighting against that, but they're not just fighting against that, they're fighting for something. In the face of opposition, when you are courageous, it speaks to something bigger, but these were ordinary men. These were ordinary men. You know who Peter and John were? They were fishermen. They, they didn't have a lot of theological training and background. They didn't necessarily have all the answers that some of these other guys would have. But the people saw their courage and they were astonished and they immediately knew these men have been with Jesus. Do people say that about you? Do people say that about me? Do they know that based on who we are and how we're living that we have been with Jesus? Or are we trying to convince them with our words so that they see that we're smart and we're not ordinary, we're extraordinary. And we're schooled and we're well-learned. And What if we just said, no, no, let me just, listen. You're asking this question. I don't want to ignore that question, but I may not even have that answer. I just want to give you Jesus. Let me just tell you my experience. Here's who I was. Here's who Jesus is. Here's who I am now. They can't argue with that. They can argue facts and figures. And I'm not saying that the Bible is not defensible. It is. It stands for itself. But I'm saying if you're so afraid that you don't have all the right answers and that you're not sure what to say, just tell them your story. They can't argue with your story. They can argue with a lot of things, but they can't argue with your story. 
Because it's who you were and it's who Jesus is and it's who you are now. So these guys, these religious leaders, they said to Peter and John, they said, okay, listen, here's the deal. We can't really find enough to keep you in jail, so we're going to let you go, but you have to keep your mouth shut. You can't talk anymore about Jesus, and you've got to stop doing what you're doing. Unfortunately for a lot of Christians, I think that's how they live. They faced a little bit of opposition, a little bit of fear gripped them because they weren't sure they had the right answer. They weren't sure that they were equipped to do what was necessary to engage in ongoing conversation, to declare the truths of God. Somebody was able to shut their mouth, and so they walked away from that moment, and they just kept living in quiet relationship with God, and they never opened their mouth again. But look what Peter and John said in response in verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. There is something that we have experienced. And once we experienced it, once we saw it, once we heard it, once we knew it to be true, it comes out of us. We cannot keep our mouths shut. We, we can't stop talking about it. Like, we, we cannot stop. Like, you, you tell us to be quiet, and that's fine, and, like, we don't want to be disrespectful to you, but you just have to know there's something that's inside of us, and we got to get it out. When was the last time you were so passionate about sharing what God did inside of you that you just, you almost, it just kind of, it just came out? Like, you were just telling the story, and you were just excited about who God was and what God had done, and you just say, hey, I cannot be quiet about what I have seen and heard. Because listen, it's not your job to defend Jesus. He doesn't need you to defend him. The, the last example I see of anybody defending Jesus was Peter. When Jesus was being arrested, Peter grabs a knife, cuts the guard's ear off, and Jesus is like, Peter, seriously? Grabs the ear, puts it back on the guy. Stop, I got this, right? And yet we walk around thinking that Jesus needs us to defend him. We got to defend him. We got to defend him. We got to defend him. No, no, no. No, no. He just needs you to stand up. Just courageously declare who he is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus did for me. Just stand up. Because if you're willing to stand up, you won't back down. That's what I believe. If you know what you're standing up for, you will not back down. I told you that I, I went up to New York with our family, but because of the announcement that we made last week about Pastor Mark, I needed to come back to be here on Saturday for uh, an elders meeting and some meetings there about the announcement of Pastor Mark's uh, leaving. So we drove up Thursday and Friday. We got to New York on Friday afternoon, and then I got on a plane in Albany, New York, and flew back to Atlanta Friday night. Got to my house, slept for a couple hours, went to the meeting on Saturday, had some conversations there that were necessary, and then flew back to New York on Saturday afternoon. Got there, didn't miss any games, was a part of the whole experience there with our family. On Friday night, when I was leaving Albany, New York on an airplane, worst luck in the world, I had a middle seat. So I get on the plane, there's a guy already sitting on the aisle. Nobody yet in the window, but tons of people behind me that are getting on. So I'm assuming that, you know, somebody's going to come and sit beside me there. And so I get in, and I was tired. I've been in the car 
for two days with four kids, and, you know, there's just a lot that's been going on. And so I did, you know, I put up the sign, like, I don't want to talk right now. I had my headphones in. They weren't even plugged up to anything, but I had my headphones in. I got my book out and my laptop out. I was going to work on this sermon a little bit on the plane on my laptop. Got a book out to read. Like, I am putting up the sign, not interested in conversation, all right? I put all that there. I get in the middle seat. I, you know, hey, sorry, I got to get in. Get in the middle seat. So I'm sitting there, and after a minute or two, like all the people that were in line behind me on the plane have found their seats, and no one is still sitting in the window. I'm thinking, this is the favor and blessing of God. So I, I said to the guy, I pulled my headphone out. I was like, hey, if nobody else gets on, I'll slide over. He just kind of grunted and smiled, okay? So he doesn't want to talk either. It's great, okay. So sure enough, the, the flight attendant goes, looks, nobody else is getting on the plane. She says to the other flight attendant, close enough where I can see, there's nobody else coming take my headphone back out. I, I just tap him on the shoulder. I said, hey, nobody else is coming. I'm going to move to the other seat. Not that I don't want to sit by you. Because when I get nervous, I get sarcastic. So I just said, not that I don't want to sit by you. And he said, no, no, that's good. That'd be mutually beneficial. <laughs> I was like, okay, got it. You got the sign up too. Got it. So I've got my headphone out. Now I'm thinking, okay, mutually beneficial. He doesn't want to talk to me, but now I'm going to be that guy. So I was like, hey, you traveling to Atlanta for... Uh... <laughs> I'm like, hey, you going to Atlanta, you go home, or is it work taking you to Atlanta, or, you know, business or pleasure? And, and he was like, no, I'm actually from North Carolina. I'm flying through Atlanta tonight. I've been up here for work. I was like, great. I was like, what do you do? And so we strike up this conversation. He's telling me about his job and all that he's been doing up there. And, and then he asks the question, so what do you do? Well, it's always a little nerd. You, know, you don't never, you never know, like, how people would respond when you tell them you're a pastor. You know what their context of faith and religion and church is. And so sometimes I just say, hey, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm a motivational speaker one day a week. I mean, like, you just never know <laughs> what they're going to say. But I said, yeah, I'm a pastor down just, just north of Atlanta. He takes his headphones off, sits them in front of him. I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Here we go. Two hours and 27 minutes later, we stopped talking. His name's Chris. He lives just outside of Wilmington. And because I knew where we were headed this Sunday, nine days later, I was thinking about that man at the gate called Beautiful that was asking for alms. Chris was asking some questions too. But they were different questions than he actually thought he was asking because he thought he was asking questions about the differences in denominations and the difference of the way that people have divided themselves and how crazy he thought that was. And some of you share his, his, you know, his questions and his concerns, as do I in some respects, but that's not really what he was asking. What he was really asking is, can you truly have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And man, he knew the Bible. He'd studied it. He had watched thousands of hours of YouTube videos. He'd read all the books. He could quote me chapter and verse, and he would ask questions, and I would respond and give him chapter and verse when I knew the answer, or when I felt like it was beneficial to the conversation. But there were several times when he would ask a question, I'd say, Chris, you know what? I don't know, buddy. I don't know. Our flight landed. We got up from our seats. We stood in line. We kept talking. We got out into the terminal. I walked him to his train. We got the little train. He's going to North Carolina, and I'm going to get in a car to go to my house. And he's still asking questions, and he's begging for alms. But what it really boiled down to is I said, buddy, here's the deal. I don't know. The stuff you're asking, I'm not sure, but here's, here's what I, I don't know that that's the important stuff. 
Like we could argue those things all day long. All I have is Jesus. That's all I've got. Like all I've got is Jesus. Like here's what I know about Jesus. He saved me. Romans 5.8 says that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Like before I could earn it, before I could be good enough, he loved me enough to die for my sins. I believe he'll do the same for you. All I've got is Jesus. It was nerve-wracking. There were times that I felt like maybe I'd blown it because I didn't have the right answer. But I decided in that moment just to be courageous. Just to be ordinary. Just to be a little bit unschooled in some of my answers because he probably was more well-versed than I was maybe. But hopefully to leave him with an understanding of wonder and amazement and astonishment, not at me. But I hope when he got on that train and he rode up to the next terminal and he got off and he went to his gate and he got on that flight going home that night, or maybe when he got all the way home to North Carolina and he laid his head on his pillow, my hope is that there was some moment in the next few hours after we left one another when he said, man, that guy has been with Jesus. That guy that was sitting next to me on the, that guy, man, he was ordinary. Like he was just kind of just this ordinary guy, like he, but he's been with Jesus. And man, he couldn't help but just tell what he had seen and what he had heard and he has been with Jesus. That's, that's my hope and my prayer for you today is that when you are walking through life and you encounter people that are begging for alms, literally and figuratively probably, they're begging for something, they're asking something, they're questioning something. You give the best answer you know how, but that you're comfortable saying, I don't know. Let's look together. Let's find it together. But that ultimately you just come back to the place where you're not trying to defend Jesus, but you're just standing up for Jesus. You're just going to be courageous and you're just going to say, hey, I, all I have is Jesus. That's all I've got. Here's who I was. Here's who he is. Here's who I am now. Let's pray. God, I thank you for courage, courage to stand up. I thank you for the people that we encounter every day of our life. They're searching. They're searching for something. Like this man at the gate of beautiful there, he's searching for something, but maybe they're not searching for what they think they are. Maybe they're just searching for you. I pray that you would take this group of people today in this service and in our other service, and God, you would help us to be courageous, to stop defending you, but to stand up in your name, declare the truths of who you are, and that, God, people would be amazed and astonished, not at our name, not at who we are, but at who you are, and that they would know that we have been with you. God, let us point people to you very best of our ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.